This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as past teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. We're glad that you're here. My name is Matt Leto. I get to preach for the next few minutes today. So if you have a Bible, pull it out. We're going to go to the book of Luke. It's in the New Testament. We're going to go there together. Luke chapter 1. And uh, we are starting a new series here at Nova uh, called Christmas Prayer. Christmas Prayer. And what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks is taking a look at three different instances in the Christmas story where there is a prayer said by someone that changes the course of what's happening. You see, sometimes we can get into this mindset that prayer is like a, like it's like a, you know, something you say to make yourself feel better, you know, like something that you do as a Christian to just sort of put words out there into the void of of space. But what we actually see in the Christmas story is that prayer plays an essential role in bringing life to us, quite literally, in ushering in the Messiah, Jesus, the King of all kings. And so we as people then need to embrace this idea that prayer has an essential role to play in ushering in life, Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings, into our world and our lives. And so we're going to take the next few weeks. Maybe you got this as you came in. Uh, If you didn't get one of these, if you managed to slip through because you did that thing that we do in church where we're like, and we just don't say hi on the way through the door, you make sure you grab one of these. Actually, if you want to throw your hand up, someone from our team can make sure to get you one of these. On the back, you'll see that there's three different places, my prayer of the heart, my prayer of obedience, and my prayer of perspective. And that's like a little cheat sheet for where we're going for the next three weeks. So make sure you hang on to this, tuck it into your Bible, tuck it into a journal. If you don't have a journal, go buy one and then tuck it in there. Take notes in church, it'll be great. Uh, But we're going to be doing that for the next three weeks, and so make sure you bring that card. If you somehow lose it, we're going to get you another one. But make sure that you try to bring it as best you can. Sound good? Turn to your neighbor and say Christmas. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it's coming. Christmas is coming. All right, let's read this together. Luke 1, verse 5 says this. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So this is like a power couple, right? This is like, do you know who their family is? Like, this is a big deal. If you are a Jewish reader reading this, you're like, that's pretty impressive resume there. So Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, to put that in there, what that's essentially saying is, and it's not going to happen. Right? They are past the age where you're going to have kids in a natural way. And this is a big hint for us to be paying attention to what's about to happen. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter, enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So Zach's in the temple. The whole crowd's outside. He's in there by himself in the holy place. Not the holy of holies, the holy place where the temple altar is. Well, multiple times at this point, the culture was in a way where people were not going, wow, look how God is moving. They were going, what, what moving? 
Sure, we serve God, we follow the rules, but God's not moving. God's not doing anything. It's the silent years. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anyone, but relevant for us today. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw the angel. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, check this out, even before his birth. That has never happened in the Bible. All the great prophets, Elijah, Samuel, all that came before him, No one has had this said of them. To have the Holy Spirit in the womb. This is the angel saying, oh, this is going to be big. It's going to be a big deal. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, fulfilling the prophecy of old. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. What this angel is saying is revival is coming. The silent years are over. God's about to do something. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is well along in years. Check it out. He says, I'm old, but my wife, she's well along in years. That's a good husband. Gentlemen, circle that, underline that, highlight that. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. And when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterwards, to his wife, uh, sorry, Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Would you pray with me this morning as we understand and dig into the scripture over the next few minutes together? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, all that you speak to us and reveal to us. Lord, as we try to understand what's happening in this passage, I pray that your words and your truth would take root in people's hearts. God, may it grow. May it be fruitful both online and in this room. May your spirit be present and may you speak to us and change us from the inside. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. What do you think the most annoying thing is? Like the most annoying thing in the world, in my opinion, is not when people drive in the left lane going 90 and don't change lanes, right? That's annoying, but it's not the most annoying. It's not when like a dog owner, like a dog comes up to you and like bites your hand and it's like, and you're like, oh, your dog's biting me. They're like, oh, he's just being friendly and saying hi. You're like, no, it's not what's happening in this moment. It's not like when someone like takes like, you know, they finish off the the TP, you know what I'm saying? Take a new roll and just kind of stack it on top and they don't change it. And you're like, why? This takes no effort. That's annoying. But the most annoying thing by far is when someone does this. Hey, did I tell you? Oh, you know what? Never mind. You know what I'm talking about? Like when someone starts telling you something and this can happen any type of relationship, friendship, parents, kids, it can happen with your 
a lot, and they start to tell you something, and you're like, what, what were you going to tell me? They're like, oh, never mind, never mind, I'm not going to tell you. And you're like, oh, and it just digs into your brain. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're lying there at night, and you're like, what were they going to say? And when it's just like, you know, they were going to say something, but they decided not to. Like, my wife is like this right now. She's like, guess what I got you for Christmas? And I'm like, um, and she's like, never mind, never mind, never mind. And I'm like, oh, man, it's just dug into my brain. But it's the worst when it's out in conflict, right? Like, when it's like, oh, yeah, well, you... Never mind. You're like, no, 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 no. What were you gonna? What were you gonna say? Right? Like it comes out that way. But the worst, the worst of all, is when it comes out when you've actually dropped the ball. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like I got this four-year-old son, Leo, and every Saturday we take Sabbath. We just rest. We relax. We don't do work. We don't do labor. We just hang out. And one of the things that we do for Sabbath is we watch cars and drink chocolate milk. That is our Sabbath routine. And when we drink the chocolate milk, I go, taste and see that the rest is sweet. And he's like, mm-hmm. Like, it's like a whole Pentecostal moment, right? But as we're watching race cars and chocolate milk, like, that is to him one of the key parts of Sabbath. And one time, I guess we've forgotten. And, and, and I put him to bed that night. And I'm like, hey, buddy, how was your day? It was, it was okay. And he's really sad. I'm like, oh, what's, what's wrong? I felt like it was a really good day. We went to Polly's Cove. Like, it was fun. And he's like, yeah, I just, never mind. And I'm like, no, no, buddy, tell me, tell me. And I'm like, oh, come on, tell me what's wrong. And he's like, we just, we didn't watch race cars and drink chocolate milk. And I was like, buddy, but you, you didn't ask. He's like, but that's what we do. And I was like, oh, you're right. And we had this moment where I was like, buddy, if I forget, you got to ask. The problem is the next week he, he asked and I forgot again, right? Then the next week after that, he went to go ask me and was like, dad, can, can we? Oh, never mind. You're busy. And I was like, oh, I am dropping the ball as a parent. You think I'm busy on Sabbath? I was like, buddy, what is it? He's like, oh, the last time I asked, I and I was like, oh, like just cut to the heart. I'm like, I am the worst parent. It's official. Like, it's just not, it's not good. But isn't it interesting how even my four-year-old knows how to hedge his bets? I'm not even going to ask because I don't want to be disappointed. Maybe when it comes to you, you, you're one of those people. You hedge your bets. You know what I'm about? Like when we're like, guys, summer's going to be amazing. And you're like, yeah lockdown, right? And we're like, hey, we're coming up on seven weeks of church. We're going to tie our record for in-person attendance. And you're like, yeah, but if we have, you know, church next week, right? Like you just, you've started to get a little bit pessimistic. You started to hedge your bets. You're starting because disappointing is it when you hope for something and you want something, you think you're going to get something and then you don't. And if we're not careful, what we actually then do is just go like, never mind. I'm not even going to ask. When it comes to our relationship with God, we can do the exact same thing. You ever hedge your bets with God? Like where you need a miracle. You need God to do something that only God can do. You need breakthrough. But at the same time, you don't want to be disappointed. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Anyone else relate to this? And the more disappointed we get, the less that we want to be disappointed. So instead of just hedging our bets, we go, God, could, never mind. And we don't ask altogether. We just sort of go into quiet. We, we just take away the betting altogether. We're not hedging our bets. Now we're just not even placing them. And someone gets up on stage and they're like, Jesus is the king of kings. And we're like, yeah, 
I know, but at the same time, I feel the authority of other things. We're like, God is able to do abundantly more than you can ask and imagine. And you're like, yeah, for other people. Like when there's prayer time, you bet I'm going to be down there, pastor. I'm believing for God to do more than he can ask, than I can ask or imagine when it comes to cancer. I'm believing for the people who are trying to have a baby, but they just can't seem to. I'm going to pray for them, lay hands on them, believe for them. I'm going to believe for the people who need freedom from the oppression of addiction, who has ruined their lives. I'm going to believe that the Holy Spirit can set them free. But in my life, never mind. Like, God, like, I would, I would ask you, but you're, you know, and then we spiritualize it, right? We put it under the guise of something spiritual where we're like, well, I'm just learning to be content in the Lord. You know, like I would ask for that thing to change. I would ask for that breakthrough. I would ask for that freedom. I would ask for that healing. I would ask for that miracle, but I'm just learning to be content in all things, right? I'm just learning in and of myself that his grace is enough. But what if God is going, no, you need breaks. Things cannot stay the way that they are. And maybe you're like, pastor, you don't understand. I prayed for my kids to follow Jesus for years. I prayed to be set free from that addiction for years. I prayed for that healing for decades, it feels like. And I just got tired of the silent years, of nothing happening, of hearing nothing from heaven. Then, And can I just say, there are some things that fill your heart. You desire, you know it's a godly desire. Not like, I want a Lamborghini, but like genuinely like, God, I believe you want to heal. But it hurts your head. It hurts your head where you're like, I can't think of a way that that's going to work. You desire it in your heart. It fills your heart, but it hurts your head. And you can't seem to get past that nagging voice in your head that's like, don't be disappointed, just be content. And I want to encourage you today that what we see in this story is what happens when you are a person of faith who is steadfast and perseveres in prayer. That's what Zechariah does. We see an incredible example of it in this story. And if we could just understand the context of what's happening, we would understand why he's persevered. Because we read, oh, and then he went in the temple and he prayed and everything was fine. But Zechariah is advanced in years. That means he's old. Like old, old. Like he's not, he's not going to have a baby kind of old. That's why it's important to the story. He's somewhere between his 60s and 80s. And so is his wife. Their baby-making days are behind them. And in the natural, it's not going to change. Now understand something about infertility in ancient Israel. It's not like it is here. Infertility is heartbreaking. When people can't have a baby, it is actually so tragic and disappointing. And it was all of that then, but so much more. If you couldn't have a baby as a female, you were actually shamed because there was something wrong with you. You were unable to produce an heir. In fact, people thought it must be some sin that you're hiding in your life. That's why God's not giving you a baby. Or maybe, maybe it's not your sin. Elizabeth and Zach, we know you guys are good. You're righteous people who follow God. It must have been your parents. It was their sin. And because of that, you have to bear the shame of not being able to have a child. It lowered the social standing of Zachariah and Elizabeth. It had a profound impact on their life. And Zach is a priest in the division of Abijah. What that means is that he would have started his lifelong career as a child. He would have been training to become a priest. He would have gone into the full service of a priest in his 30s when he turned 30. But before that, he was like an intern. He was at the temple. He was in church. He was doing everything he needed to do to set up for the service. 
And he would go and he would serve there. This isn't something that he signed up for as a career. It was who he was from the very beginning. And as a young man, he would have married Elizabeth incredibly young. They would have married early. And it's not like today where it's like, take some time, get to know each other, go backpacking, right? Like no one was like, hey, you guys should go check out Italy. I hear it's great. That's not what was happening. They're like, so start making babies. As soon as they got married, it would have been like year one, like, so where's the kids, right? Like it was an expectation that they would start to make babies right away. And so you can imagine what it would be like when this holy man who is a priest in the temple, who is going to work in the temple, can't have, can't have kids. Like what's going on there, guys? Year one, year two, we understand things happen. Year three, year four, year 10, year 20. And now people are looking at you different. They're talking about you. They're, they're wondering what you've done to get into that place. And, and you are now bearing shame. And the entire time that this is happening, years and years and decades and decades of praying and asking God for a child, even when it was impossible, even when there hadn't been a miracle in 400 years, they're still going, God, please Give us a child. And the whole time, Zach and Liz are staying faithful. They're following after God through tears and pain and dealing with shame and social stigma, praying year in and year out, God, give me a child. It was an honest prayer of the heart, but it probably hurt their head. You see, at some point, they needed to push past the pain in their head to embrace what was happening in their heart. And when I want to ask the question today, what is in your heart that hurts your head? What is it that fills your heart that actually hurts your head? The thing that you need God to do, the breakthrough that you need, the thing that maybe you've been praying for for decades, for years. And in your head, it goes, it's not possible. Just stop, just settle, hedge your bets. You know what? You should just, never mind. You should, you should just stop. Because you keep getting disappointed. Stop getting disappointed, just stop praying. Maybe the prayer that you prayed, you prayed for a long time, but now you're tired. You're tired of wondering when your kids are going to come back to God. You're tired of wondering when you're going to get healed. You're tired of wondering when your marriage is going to get better. You're tired of wondering when your finances are going to get better. And so instead of pressing into God, you go, I've had enough. But look at Zach and Liz. They keep going. They keep speaking it. They keep seeking it. The thing in their heart drives, not, uh, drives what's in their head, not what's in their head driving their heart. They allow what's filling their heart to overcome the hurt in their head. And so he goes to work. He goes to work with all this in mind, advanced in years. He's been dealing with it for years. Now you need to understand the priestly division that he was part of, they would only serve two weeks out of the year. So they go to the temple one week, they serve a week, and then they have another point in the year where they come and they serve. And in order to get into the holy room that he was in, where he gets to offer incense on the altar, they would have to draw straws. And due to the amount of priests that were there, if he started in his 30s, he would have a 1 in 670, oh, sorry, a 1 in 167 chance of drawing the straw to be able to offer the incense. And he's gone 30, 40 times. So this is not something he does every time he goes to work. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to be the priest bringing the incense to the altar. Now, you need to understand, if the Holy of Holies was over here behind the curtain, 
It was this huge, thick curtain, floor to floor, wall to wall, that was the presence of God on the altar, on the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat was over there. And over here was the altar for the incense. This was a holy space that only priests could go into. And that was the holy of holies that only the the head priest could go into. It was not something that he could access. But during this moment, he's selected, he draws that straw. What they would have to do is take a coal from the sacrifice altar where they would do burnt offerings and a priest would have to bring it into the temple and they would have to put it in this holy space on this golden altar. And then, only then would Zechariah be able to come in with the incense and he would come and put the incense on the altar. This was a once in a lifetime opportunity and we need to understand The sin of Israel was atoned for so that they could now be in the presence of God. And the way the incense, what it symbolized was that as it was burning and the smoke is going up to heaven, that's when you prayed. So Zechariah comes in and he's like, okay, this is my job. I'm taking the incense. I'm putting it on the altar. God, I pray for Israel. Lord, I pray for your people. Lord, I pray that you would deliver them from the oppressor. God, that you would bring your kingdom and restore your kingdom. Lord, send the long-awaited Messiah. And then he adds in, and God, give me a son. You see, he was there to intercede for the nation of Israel, but recognizing that he was in the place where the presence of God was, he was like, this is my moment. This is my once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where I am in front of the presence of God and things can actually change. This doesn't come around often. I'm lucky I'm even here. And so, God, would you give me a son? And it says that instantly an angel appeared to the right of the altar, the left of the mercy seat of God, the right of the altar. And Gabriel has this conversation with him. Let's just remember here, 400 years of silence. And suddenly there's an angel saying, God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. Church, this is a significant moment. This is a significant moment. And, and Zach, is, he's freaked out. He's freaked out because he's like, whoa, I've read about angels. I've read about miracles. I've never experienced it. And the angel says, you're going to have This son, God has heard your prayer. Church, God does not answer the prayers we do not pray. We need to speak it. We need to pray. We need to offer it up to God and ask him to hear our prayer. You see, the prayer that starts in our heart, the thing that's stirring in our heart can sometimes get blocked by our head and it never makes it to our lips. But the encouragement from Zechariah is that even though he had pushed through for years and years, some 40 to 60 years of his life praying for a son, he kept going. He kept persevering in prayer. He allowed what was stirring in his heart to make it to his lips. Church, this is the call for us. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 7 to 11. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Now, this is not like, give me a Lamborghini, give me a Bugatti, give me a private jet. What this is saying is when our hearts are in line with God, when the thing that he has dropped in our heart and is stirring in our heart, the thing that fills our heart, when we bring that to God, it's like we're knocking. It's like we're seeking. It's like we're saying, God, please bring an answer to this. He's saying, don't get tired of knocking. Keep on going. Keep on persevering. God answers the prayers he hears. Pray out loud. Write it down on this card. You see, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he tore that veil. That presence that was only for the the chief priest, that was only for the elite, that presence was released into the world. You see, they had to burn a sacrifice to have coals that were holy enough to go on the incense altar. They had to have holiness codes and washing and ceremony and robes to be able to even bring incense to say, I'm in your presence, hear my prayer. We get to do it always. If we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with us. The same Spirit that was behind the curtain, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is with you now. We don't need to wait for ceremony. We don't need to wait for a service. It's great when we have it, but the truth is that we can come before the altar of prayer in our lives and say, God, hear my prayer. Maybe it's been 10 years. Maybe it's been five years. Maybe it's been 50 years, but God, I know that you hear me and I ask that you would answer in Jesus' names. You see, Gabriel was standing to the right of the altar, the left of the mercy seat in the temple. Do you know why? Because the seat to the right hand of God has an owner. Gabriel's high up, but he's not as high up as Jesus. Romans 8 tells us, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Church, Jesus is interceding for you. The one seated at the right hand of God, he who is able to do abundantly more than you could ask, seek, or imagine is saying, keep on knocking, keep on seeking, and you will find. Church, we serve a God who wants more for you than you even want for yourself. Let's not allow ourselves to hedge our bets with him. Let's not allow ourselves to spiritualize why we don't ask. Let's not come before God and go, God, never mind. Let's bring it to him. Let's allow what's stirring in our hearts to make it to our lips, not be blocked what's happening in our heads. Don't allow the hurt of your past, the disappointment of your past to prevent what God is stirring in your heart from making it to your lips. You know, that word for mute that says that Zechariah went mute in the Greek. It actually means unable to speak and deaf. And we look at that and we think that's a curse. That's a curse from from Gabriel. He's like, boom, punishment. Because you didn't believe me, you doubted. But let's understand, he asked for a sign and Gabriel gives him a sign. You see, he could have walked away from that moment and gone, did I really see an angel? Was that real or was it just a little too smoky in there, right? He could have walked out of that place and gone, did that, did that really happen? But when he can't speak, when he can't hear, he knows. He's like, no, 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 no. It wasn't just a spiritual high. It wasn't just a moment in a service at an altar. It wasn't just some feelings that I was having. This is real. God is doing something. I have a promise. And look at the grace of God in this scenario. Because he walks out of the temple to a crowd of people who haven't seen a miracle in 400 years. And he's about to tell them, I'm going to have a son. 
And they're like, <laughs> Zachariah, Liz, you guys are great. Maybe adoption. Maybe that's your speed. Maybe, maybe you were in there and you kind of were imagining some stuff, Zechariah. No, no, he can't hear that. You see, church, some of the prayers that you have stirring in your heart have doubters that will question it the whole way. And what God does in this moment is he says, you're not going to hear any of that till the son is born, till the promise is here. Some of you need to actually find the voices in your life that are saying, that can't happen. That won't happen. Hedge your bets. Don't be disappointed again. And you need to go mute. You're done. You know why? Because I need faith in this room. I need faith in my circumstance. I'm fine to be friends with you, but you will not have a voice in my faith journey. If you're going to question what God has filled my heart with and what is coming off of my lips, then you're not going to make it to my ears. Your voice and your doubt is not going to make it to my ears. And you know what? Maybe for some of us, that's our own voice. Sometimes we just need to shh. Just be quiet. Stop doubting, stop questioning, stop calling into question. Did God really say, did God really do that? It was a great moment in the service, but am I really free? Zechariah can't walk out and doubt anything. The last thing that he said was give me a sign and he was given the sign. For nine months, that was the last thing he said. The last thing he heard was the instruction of the angel on how to raise John, on what to call John. That meant that for nine months, that was what was bouncing around in his head. The truth of God. We need to become deaf to the voices that question what God is doing in our lives and listen to him. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take like two minutes. There's this card right here and there's a space right at the top, my prayer of the heart. Here's what I wanna know. What is it that is stirring in your heart, that is filling your heart and maybe it hurts your head, but can you help it find your way to the paper? What is it that you've been believing God for? What is it that you've been disappointed by in the past? What is the miracle that you need, the breakthrough that you need? Who is the family member that needs to come back? What is the name of the disease that needs to die in your life? What is the name of the addiction that needs to die in your life? What is it in your heart that God needs to bring forth into reality? So we're going to take a couple minutes right now. This isn't like a take it home kind of thing. If you're watching online, pull out your phone and just write down my prayer of the heart. Pull out a piece of paper if you got that. And we're going to respond to this before we even leave this service. So come on, would you do that? Would you pull out a pen, pull out this card, and just ask, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to people what needs to happen in their heart? God, fill their heart. Fill them with faith. Fill them with expectation. God, help us be like Zachariah who prays, prays a prayer of perseverance even when it doesn't seem possible. God, may we rely on you and what you're doing in Jesus' name. Come on, church, let's respond to this. Why don't you take a minute, write it down.
I don't know what it is that you've written down, but I can tell you with confidence that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of his intercession for you, praying for you, pleading for you at the right hand of the Father, God hears. God hears. God hears. And my encouragement to you is this. Don't let the stirring in your heart be buried by disappointment. Take this piece of paper. This is just a piece of paper. There's nothing spiritual about it. There's nothing crazy about it other than the fact that your prayer is on it. Take that. Pray over it every day. When you see it, put it on your fridge, put it in your Bible, put it on your desk. But let's present ourselves to God. Let's ask and seek and knock and you will find. Father God, I thank you so much for this group of people. Lord, I thank you for what it is that you're doing both in this room and online. God, that you have put things in our heart and God, the things that you put in our heart, just like Zechariah, are bigger than even ourselves. What you brought to fulfillment in Zechariah's life was great for them, but it led the way for the Messiah. Lord, may the prayers of our heart make the way for your kingdom to come and your will to be done here in Halifax, in Canada, on earth, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, church, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I hope that you're excited for all that God is doing in your lives and in the life of our church. Be blessed as you go. Grab a coffee on the way out. We love you. See you next week.